Today's passage is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. But he was teaching them as one who had, the, who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, I, I thank you for today. Uh, and we just come before you, Lord, in humble obedience. Lord, just thankful for all that you have done. And I pray, Lord, especially for this sermon in particular, that you would be able to speak clearly, that you would be able to speak powerfully, and that it would penetrate the very depths of our heart. God, I pray that this sermon, that your words, Lord, would be able to change our lives, that it is not through our works, it's not through my words, it's not through the eloquence of anything else, but God, it is solely through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives. And so, God, we trust in you and we rely upon you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, just first of all, today's sermon is called True uh, Christianity, True Christianity. Uh, before I start, I just want to say thank you to uh, everyone who really showed so much love and care uh, for me during my ordination process last week, uh, for all the support before that, for all the support during, and all the support after. I just want to say thank you so much, and, and it was really uh, just such a privilege um, to have all of you a part of such a big part of my life. So thank you, thank you. Um, you know, I, I was thinking when I first came to Shining Star a couple years ago, um, there was this passion that God had given me for this place. And it was a passion that had to do with the vision of this church. And I was so passionate about that too. Um, you know, we, we talked about this a lot, and it's all over our website too. It's uh, inside family missions, outside foreign missions, right? And so for us, like, I, that's kind of what I desired so badly for us to go towards. And as I started out here, as I started serving and just working here, um, everything that I was doing, 
it was so easy to structure it that way. And for me, as I was kind of thinking about it, like, it got to the point where I was so excited that there were times I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. And I know that sounds weird, and I know some people get excited about different things, whatever, but like, for me, that's what, like, you know, that's what got me like, really happy, really excited to go. And it, got to, and it was to the point where I, was, I had no problem when it came to the structure and the organization of our church and removing things that needed to be removed. And I had no problem in adding things that needed to be added as long as it had to do with the vision of our church. I knew what it was, and I knew where we needed to go. And so anything that was hindering us from going there, it was easy for me to cut out. And yet, I realized during my time in ministry, when it came to people, when it came to confronting people, when it came to talking truth into people, when it came to talking, when it came to one-on-one -on -one conversations like that, it became much more difficult for me. And I think that as time has gone on, especially as I was thinking about ordination and just my path leading up to this stage and, and my path leading forward as well, one thing that God has been saying to me, I feel again and again, and trying to teach me again and again, is he's, he's just been saying, Danny, just speak the word of God and I'm going to do the rest. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just speak truth and love and trust that I am going to change their hearts. And again and again, he's been reprimanding me because he's been saying, look, you're not the one that's going to change people. You're not the one that's going to transform people. It's not going to be based on your eloquence. It's not going to be based on your words. It's not going to be based on what you do. It's going to be based solely upon the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus does to these people. And so he's been saying again and again, just trust me. Just do your work faithfully, and I'm going to do the rest. And he's been saying, look, I'm going to open up their ears. I'm going to open up their eyes. I'm going to open up their hearts. So just trust just do your work. Just trust. And that's something that's been reverberating again and again in my heart. And that's something I really want to share with you guys as well. Because it becomes scary a lot of times. The building, the structure, those things don't have feelings. Those things don't have a heart. But when you come across people, when you come across people who you desire change for, who you really love, speaking words of truth is difficult. But man, just trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus Christ that he is the one who is going to work in their lives. So just stay faithful to the Bible and speak words of truth and love. Amen? And you see, we see, we know this, that God is a God of love. And so even when things get difficult, even when things get, even when things get really hard, even when there's passages in the Bible that just seem to have a lot of friction in them, we know that God is a God of love, and therefore, he hates sin. And therefore, he hates all of those things that can lead us further and further away from him. And the reason why I'm saying this in particular here is because this passage is really, really difficult. And the more you read this, and the more you study it, the more difficult it becomes. And the reason why it's so difficult is because Jesus, he's not talking to anyone outside this church. He's talking to you. 
He's talking to me. He's talking to these people in the church who are serving faithfully, who are reading the Bible, who are praying. He's talking to you. And it becomes really difficult because he's saying things here that are going to be hard for us to process, but we're going to go in this together. Because he says here that there are two paths. He says that there are two gates. He says that there are two trees and says that there are two houses. And at the end of verse 28, it says that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. You see, this word astonished in the Greek is actually uh, a much stronger word than the word that we kind of associate. It literally means that when people heard what Jesus said here, that they were thunderstruck, that they were to the point where it was numb, that they couldn't really believe what they were hearing. But for us, that seems kind of strange because I think that this passage is so famous, it's so popular that we've kind of grown immune to it. We've grown kind of whatever about it. It doesn't seem that crazy to us. You know, for us, we say, okay, there's this broad gate, and then there's this narrow gate. And of course, of course, the broad gate is for the people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And then the narrow gate are for those who do believe. And, and in this world, there are more non-Christians than Christians. And so obviously, the broad gate, the broad path is for those people, the majority of the world, right? But you see, Jesus isn't just saying that. When Jesus is talking about the broad and narrow gate, he's not talking about those outside the church. Those people who don't believe, it's a given that they're on the broad road. He doesn't need to mention that. He doesn't need to talk about that. And it's why for us, we are constantly crying out to the Lord. That's why we pray to God. It's why we do everything that we can to try to save our unbelieving friends and our families. why we cry out to the Lord to ask that he would be the one who saves them. It's why our vision statement is what it is. Because we know that what he says is true, that the broad gate, yes, the broad path is for those, yes, who don't believe in him. But that's a given. He says, no, no, that's a default. We already know this. I'm talking to you. Let's read verses 22 to 23, and I'm gonna, you're going to see what I'm talking about. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, there are two things we know about these people. The first is that they are working and striving for Jesus. It says here, didn't we do this for your name? These are people who have taken on the name of Jesus, who were probably baptized. And there are people who knew them, and, and they were faithful in the church. And secondly, we knew that these people, they, they knew the truth of the gospel. It says that they called him Lord, Lord. In the Greek, people, they would say uh, Kaiser Kyrios. It would mean Caesar is Lord. But those who are taught by Jesus, they would say Kyrios, Kyrios. And they would, that would mean, look, Caesar is not Lord. I know that you are Lord. I know that Jesus is Lord. And so they knew the truth of the gospel. They knew that Jesus was the son of God. 
So you see, they were taught and they had the right understanding. These were faithful people in the church. And it says that they were prophesying, they were casting out demons, and they were doing miracles. You see, people's lives were being changed, and they were being converted, and yet what does Jesus say to them? Look, he doesn't say, oh, you went away from the faith and you just got a little lost. Um, I come back, now you can come back. He says, no, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. What does it mean that Jesus never knew them? In John 17, 3, it says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know God is to be saved. Jesus is saying, you have the doctrine right. You're in the church. You're working and changing people's lives. But guess what? You're not saved. I don't know you. You have no relationship with me. Don't be fooled, church. People, they can say all the right things. And a lot of people, the word Jesus and the word gospel and and all these things can come so easily out of their mouths. And they can have all of the right words and all the, all the right vocabulary, but that means nothing. That doesn't save you. Just because you have the furnishings of the gospel, just because you have the gilding of the gospel, doesn't mean that you are saved. And don't let your heart be fooled. Just because you may have said a prayer a few years ago during a retreat doesn't necessarily mean that you are saved. And look, I'm not trying to bring doubt into your mind. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not what I'm all about here. I'm just simply trying to read what the text is trying to tell you, what Jesus is trying to tell you. And what he says in this passage is, look, you need to stop, wake up, and examine your heart. Look at yourself. It's easy to fool other people, and it's easy to fool yourself. And this is what Jesus is trying to get out here. In verse 17, Jesus talks about these two trees, and he says, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And then in verse 24, Jesus, he talks about these two houses, one built on rock and one built on sand. You see, it doesn't take much effort to tell the difference between a tree with fruit and a tree without fruit. If anyone's gone into an orchard in the summer and you see one tree that has a bunch of leaves and a bunch of fruit and you see another tree that has no leaves and no fruit, you're not going to take hours deciphering which one's alive, which one's dead. No, you're going to know immediately. There's no discernment involved there. But Jesus, he says this in verse 18. He says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. There are two trees and they both bear fruit. The word bad is just another word for poisoned. It doesn't mean that this fruit that the bad tree has is shriveled or that it's discolored or that you can tell from looking at it. What he's saying is that there are two trees, they look exactly the same. 
There are two trees, and the fruit that comes from them, they look exactly the same as well. And yet one is poisoned and will kill you. Look, how much discernment does it take to tell the difference between someone who goes to church and someone who doesn't? You don't need any. You can immediately tell. How much discernment does it take to tell when a person prays and when they don't? You don't need any. How much discernment does it take to tell if a person knows the Bible or they don't? It's easy to see those things on the visual side. You can see them immediately. But those things are not what Jesus is talking about here. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is contrasting two sets of people. But they're they're not the people that you would think of. He doesn't say, look, these are people who pray and these are people who don't pray. He says, look, don't pray like them, pray like this. Both people are praying. And yet he says, look, the way you should pray is not like this, it's like this. He says, look, these people here, they give to the poor, but don't give to the poor like this. Give to the poor like this. Jesus is not contrasting good and bad people. Jesus is contrasting true Christians and false Christians. The broad road is not broad because it's only filled with those who don't believe in Jesus. It's broad because it's filled with people who don't believe and people who think they're saved, but they're really not. That's why it's broad. And so now the final question, and I'm sure you're wondering too, is what's the difference? What is the difference between a true Christian and a false Christian? In chapter 6, Jesus talks about how some people give to the church or to the poor and congratulate themselves, expecting a reward from God and from people. And he says the same thing about prayer. There are people who pray so that others would look at them and expect honor from God. And yet some people pray and give to the poor simply as a response to God's grace for all that he's done for them. There are two roads, church. Every religion in this world will tell you that you need to work in order to gain your salvation. And when you are able to work for your salvation, then God isn't the one who saves you. You save yourself. You see, when we are able to work for our salvation, then God is simply the intermediary. He's only the second person there. You are the savior of your own soul because you earned it. And so therefore, you give God something and therefore you expect and you want God to give something back to you. You live a good life and therefore you believe God will do things for you because you earned it. But that's not what the gospel is. And that's not what Jesus says at all. Because what the gospel is is that God, he gives you a perfect record through Jesus Christ so that you are totally accepted, so that you are totally loved, and so that you are totally treasured by God, that you did nothing to earn your salvation. 
You did nothing. It was a free gift from God. He gave it to you. Not because of your works, not because of who you are, but simply because he loves you more than anything and anyone else in this world because he loves you. It is a free gift from God. And so every single day we can live in complete gratitude to the Lord. That's why every time we give to God in our offering, we give in such complete gratitude. That's why when we worship God and praise, we can lift our hands and say, God, you gave this to me. You did this for me. I am so thankful for you. That's why when we read the Bible, when we go through hardship, even in those difficult times in our lives, we are able to be so thankful because our salvation in the Lord is not based upon our own works, is not based upon our own actions, is based purely upon who Jesus Christ is because he's the one who saved us. It was him. And if you really believe this, then it sounds even more ridiculous that we would be worried about our future. Why would we be worried about the future when we believe in Jesus Christ who gave us everything? Why would we, why would we have such a hard time giving of our time, giving of our offerings, giving of these different things when God has given us everything? Why would we be so swayed by other people's opinions about ourselves when we know that the king of the universe has called you a son, a daughter of his? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, verse 22, it says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do many works in your name? Do you see this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? So reward us. Their hearts were in the wrong place. They were doing all of these things not for God's glory, but for their own. They were their own saviors. Because I'm doing this, because I'm being good, you owe me. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This word ravenous, it has a very specific meaning. In the Greek, it means to blackmail and to extort. God, because I am living this life, you have to give me a good life. Because I'm doing all these things, you need to give me this. And you see, what happens when you begin to base your salvation on your works is that your outlook on life and the people around you will begin to become extremely critical and negative. You will use the works that you've done to make yourself more superior than everyone else while at the same time diminishing your own faults. And that's exactly why Jesus, in the beginning of this chapter, he talks about judging others. You see, it all connects back to your heart. Christianity is not about doing good works. 
It's not about how much you give in your offering or how much you serve the church. You see, true Christianity is knowing that you have something impossible to have on your own. Something that you didn't deserve and yet you were given freely. And because of that, and because of that, you give and you serve and you love. Because of course, of course that's what I'm going to do. Of course. And so church, do you want this? Is this truly what you want? Has this hit your heart in any way? Then there are two things that you need to know. The first is that you need to repent. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we read that Jesus says you need to be poor in spirit. In fact, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means that we need to understand that spiritually we are bankrupt, that spiritually we are nothing, that even the best things that we have done cannot save us. And that means even the, even the worst things in our lives too, God is able to overcome. For us, we are sinners who deserve death. And it needs to be within the very depths of your bones to know that you deserve judgment. And ultimate judgment for you should be hell. And you see, the second thing that you need to know is that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. You cannot be your own savior. And your good works are not even close enough to save you. So stop. Church, just stop. Re-examine your heart. Look at why you're doing these things. Look at why you are striving, why you are working, why are you going to church and giving? Is your heart in the right place? Are you doing this? In order to, are you, or are you doing this because of? Lay it down before Jesus and just simply be honest with him. There is no other way. There are no other gods. There is no other path. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And look, I know that the path and the gate is narrow, but I want to encourage you that although the path and the gate leading up are narrow, once you pass, you will have complete freedom. Freedom like you've never experienced before. Because you see, what this world tells you is that, look, this broad path here, it gives you ultimate freedom. But what you know in the depths of your heart, what you truly know is that there is nothing in this world that will give you freedom. In fact, the more you have of something, the more it has power over you. And the more bondage you are in. The more money you have, the more money has control over you. The closer you are, the more you try to be in love or, or cling on to someone, the more power they have over you. You see, the only person, the only thing, the only God who can ever, ever truly set you free is a God who will never change, who will always love you, and that God is Jesus Christ. 
See, he is the God of the universe, and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if you believe in him, then you will be like a house built on the rock. That even when the winds and the waves come, even when the most difficult situations come, you will not crumble. Because you are built on the foundation that is beyond this world. There is nothing in this world that can ever crumble Jesus Christ. He is the one who has calmed the storms. He is the one who has calmed the waves. So what are you to be afraid when he is on your side? If he is for us, then who can be against us? There is no one in this world. And so what he is doing to you, what he is giving to you is an offer. He's saying, look, believe in me. The path is narrow, yes. The way is narrow, yes. But through me, you are going to have ultimate freedom. Freedom from this world, freedom from the hardships of this life, freedom from everything else. So come to me. I am the only way to salvation. Jesus says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so come to the Lord. Come to God. Repent and believe in him. And he will give you ultimate freedom. Church, it is a free gift, undeserved and unearned, but it demands your entire life. Repent and believe. Let's pray.